on this week's Growler Garage. We've got NASCAR at the new smallest super speedway in the world in Atlanta. We've got IndyCar at their first oval of the season at Texas. And we've got Formula One's 2022 season kickoff at Bahrain. All that and all sorts of analysis, previews for next week's races. And oh my gosh, so much to talk about. Let's get to it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is uh, our first full slate Growler Garage of the season in the sense that we've got NASCAR, IndyCar, and Formula One races to review. Uh, it was a really fun Saturday, or Saturday, a very fun Sunday, I felt like. Um, we'll start with NASCAR. Uh, certainly, that was the most take-it-or-leave-it race of the weekend. Lots of NASCAR fans really, really upset about this race on the internet. Just hated it. Just absolutely hated it. Um, and I, I certainly understand where they're coming from because this is the kind of racing that a lot of people have been arguing against for years because it was pretty clear this is what NASCAR was trying to do with the high downforce, high drag, low power package they've been trying to work with the last couple of seasons and tried to originally make this new car do at all the tracks, all the intermediate tracks anyways. Um, so it was pretty clear this is what NASCAR wanted, and this Atlanta repave with the higher banking and all that served them an opportunity to do so. Um, so, I mean, with that in mind, you know, it, they got what they were looking for. It was a pack race. It looked like mini Daytona. Um, it was interesting. It, it was it was interesting. You know, I, I felt, to me, the only time I don't enjoy a race is if it's not interesting, is if it's just very predictable, you know what's going to happen. There's no sense of um, of drama in any kind of sense. And you don't need to be like, oh my gosh, they're three wide and they're trading the lead five times a lap. That's not what I mean. Um, there's a lot of different ways to get drama or get intrigue in a race. This is one of them. This isn't my favorite way of doing it. I don't personally care for pack racing very much. This is not a kind of race I would want to see 20 times a year by any stretch. Seeing it four times a year at Daytona and Talladega was enough for me. Um, adding another two at Atlanta, it's a little different. So, okay, I can live with it. Not my favorite thing. Um, but NASCAR, you know, without question, got what they were looking for. Um, so the fear is a lot of people are, are, are worried that they're going to try to change every 1.5 mile track into this type of racing. And I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, the costs involved with that would be astronomical. I mean, it, I, I know they can afford it. But I'd be really surprised. I'd be really surprised if we get more of this. I think we, we probably will eventually get another one or two that are like this, and it's not going to be quite the same. Or it's not going to be quite as good. Keep in mind, Atlanta's a little bigger than the other one-and-a-half-mile tracks, um, just slightly, and has broader corners. It has shorter straightaways than most of the other 1.5-mile tracks. So it, it's going to work better to track like this than, say, Texas or Charlotte, which are, which are a little smaller. Um, so I, I don't know, I, I would really, if anybody from NASCAR happened to stumble on this podcast, which they won't, um, I would, I would really, really like to see them keep this as a one-off thing. You know, this track's going to wear out. It's going to get older. It's never going to have more grip than it has right now. And it, and that might create a good race. I would love to see them run it with full power when they come back here later in the year. 
um, just to see what would happen. I think it would be a better race. <coughs> um, it wouldn't be as pack racy, that's for sure. But I, I think there has to be a happy medium, right? Like, you couldn't pass. Like, you could pass on this. But the problem is if you're 10th, right, and everybody ahead of you is 2x2x2x2, two by two by two by two, um, there's nowhere for you to go. At Daytona and Talladega, you can make a third line, and you can try to do something if you feel so inclined. At Atlanta, you cannot. There is not room to go three wide around this racetrack now. Um, so, I mean, it's just that's the main thing I didn't like. If they could get away from it being a 30-car pack and make it so that it spreads out a little bit and the best handling cars are up front and maybe it's a 5-10 to 10 car pack, I can live with that. You know, if after 50 laps, if the tires are wearing out and these guys, you know, and girls are having to drive these cars and, yeah, maybe it's flat out, but only for the best handling race cars. That would be cool. That would be something I would like to see. I'd, I'd like to see, you know, where you can get a run and you can do these slingshots, which was pretty cool, but make it so that it's not every car in the field, you know, and that it's just hammered down all the time. That's what I would like to see. But, well, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We don't know what NASCAR's plan is yet, so let's just wait wait and see. This race in a bubble I thought was fine. It was, it was a cool spectacle. It won't be like this forever. It'll, it, it's going to lose grip and all that so it it is what it is and i thought this race was was okay not my favorite kind of race but hey it was fun sort of um so once again going back to this this race in particular we once again saw the chevys were were fast and i think we learned a little something just a little bit of something throughout this race though about why the chevys are fast and it has to do with those tire failures that we kept seeing where the leader would blow a rear tire, you know, 35-ish laps into a run. And it was always a Chevy. And it happened like three times. And I think there's something to that. In that, this is just a hunch for me. You know, I don't have any insider knowledge in this case. Um, so what I'm thinking is that they have something set up with the rear suspension, whether it be camber or what I didn't see anybody talk about, is maybe they're towing the rear. Um, I'm sure that they can only put so much tow into these, but... The teams being the way they are, I'm wondering if they're steering the rear a little bit. Um, if they got a little bit of rear steer, if you will, um, built into these things. And it's scrubbing the right rear or left rear. And that when you get out front and you have more air on the car, which is more downforce, if you're running multiple laps out there, plus you have this aggressive rear setup, whether it be camber or toe or whatever, if that's putting extra load into the tire and that's what's causing them to fail and that the Fords and the Toyotas are not doing whatever this rear suspension setup is and that the extra load was not hurting them and we and it wasn't every Chevy you know William Byron led a lot of laps and maybe the cautions and tire changes and whatnot worked out for him and that and that saved his tires maybe it didn't maybe he just wasn't as aggressive on rear rear end setup I don't know um, but there's something to that. And I do I do think that all the Chevys that are up front are running something similar to this, um, whatever this rear suspension setup is. I think all the Chevys, the Hendrix cars, the, the Childress cars, the Childress affiliate cars, what have you, I think they're all doing whatever it is. And that's why the Chevys are so fast. But I think we saw it bite them a little bit. I mean, they still won. William Byron still won. So obviously it's still working. But I, I, I do think there's a connection there. I, I really do. Because the Chevys were fast again. I mean... Chastain was super fast. Byron was super fast. Suarez was super fast. Larson, we couldn't really... He got that damage early, but he was still fast even with the damage. Um, you know, it's all the same stuff. Eric Jones was up front again. 
you know, and we're not seeing them necessarily finish it off in the way they should, but the Chevys are controlling these races from my point of view. Um, so there's certainly something to that. Um, and then towards the end of the race, you know, it was, the race itself was, was kind of a back and forth. There was a, at the end of, I think it's stage one was pretty cool when Chastain, um, kind of kept going for the lead and they were kind of trading it back and, and there was some good slingshots and stuff going on there. I really enjoyed that section of the race. They kind of, you know, through the middle part did what it always does where kind of everybody gets in the rhythm and just rides around, runs laps, especially with a little bit of fuel saving going on in that final stage, um, before we started getting yellows. Um, but then at the end, you know, with about 10, eight, five to go, um, Bubba Wallace and Ryan Blaney are running second and third, and they got a couple of really good runs on William Byron, and they didn't take them. And, and we all know why. I mean, they were trying to wait until the end because he didn't want to be the leader. But, you know, and I, and I understand that, but I was still sitting there going, man, you want to be the leader at, at the white flag. And, and that sounds crazy with, with being kind of a sitting duck, but it's, it's a narrow racetrack. It's not as hard to block all the lanes. Talladega, you can't do it. But here, maybe you can kind of put your car in the middle and make it hard for them. But more importantly than that is when they get side-by-side side behind you, which is what we saw happen, nobody can get a run. They're stuck side-by-side. Side. And that's likely to happen on the last lap because the guys in third, fourth, fifth, sixth, why are they going to let you just plan and plot to win and just say, okay, I'm going to finish fifth? No. like People are giving Ross Chastain a hard time. For, for making a move underneath Bubba. What do you want? He wants to be second because the fact is, is if that move works a little more cleanly, he's second with hopefully a push behind him going on the back straightaway and Chastain's in a great spot to win. Why do you want to... You don't want to be third. You want to be second. So, you know, that's crazy to me that people are giving him a hard time. But on top of that, especially at a track like this, a yellow on the last lap, the race is over. So you want to be leading. Like, give me the lead coming to the white every time if i'm in that in that car i want it every time and yeah maybe maybe it doesn't work out but you're gonna win i feel like at least half those races if you run 100 races like that and you're leading at the white you're gonna win half of them you know whereas the guy in second is gonna win probably about 20 percent you know because somebody in third fourth fifth maybe they make a miracle run or whatever but your odds are the best leading because the caution is going to come out in so many races races over they're going to get side by side behind you the race and and you get away or you just make the right moves and hold them off i mean there's there's three different ways to win if you're leading whereas there's only like one way to win if you're second you know so just play the odds make you move it two or three to go in my opinion and and let it work itself out you know if you're leading at the white you really can't you really can't fault anybody for that you know you put yourself in the best position you possibly can in my opinion now it's at you know, it's not Talladega. You know, you don't have that mile plus front straightaway where you can swap the lead two or three times. Um, Atlanta, if you're coming off, coming off turn four and you're already in the lead, clearly you're winning. You, they're not getting that kind of a run there in these cars. Um, so I thought that was kind of crazy. But first time, you know, we're seeing a lot more of the race on TV than these guys are in the seat. You know, they don't see every move like we do and see everything building up and, and how the energy works and all that. So first race, they're going to go back and watch videos of this and learn a lot. Next time we go back there, and I got to assume it'll be the same package, it'll be it'll race a little different, especially at the end. So, you know, um, that, that'll just be one of those deals. But, you know, William Byron did the right thing, just controlled the race and, and won it. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really fun to see when they come back how it changes. Um, and then I think, and I think it will change quite a bit as far as how they race it. Um, 
But next uh, next week, we're heading off to Circuit of the Americas, first road course of the year, first road course with the new car. That's going to be, I'm really excited for this one um, because this is the first time ever that NASCAR has brought a car that works on a road course. <laughs> um, and that, you know, to be fair, that was part of the fun of the old generation cars, that they didn't work at road courses. So watching these guys try to hustle these taxi cabs around, <laughs> you know, was, was really fun. We're going to lose some of that, which is a little sad, but we're going to see them be able to really drive into the corners a lot deeper, get on the, get on the gas a lot sooner. It'll be fun, I think, to see what kind of lap time difference there is. I mean, this car certainly should be multiple seconds a lap faster than the old car. Um, so that's going to be, um, it's going to be really, really cool to see that. I think because this is much more like a GT car now, uh, the guys with that experience are going to be the ones to beat. Um, AJ Allmendinger and Austin Sindrick have to be the favorites in my mind. I mean, I, I think that it goes right through them. There will certainly be other people who are fast, um, people with road course experience, which is actually more drivers on the field than you would think as far as um, experience at the 24 Hours of Daytona, you know, blah, 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 whatever. There's a lot of different sports car racing that a lot of these guys have done, but none of them have done more than Allmendinger and Austin Sindrick. So those are the two to watch. In my mind, I'd be, I'd be really surprised to be quite honestly, if one of those two doesn't win, barring some sort of crazy um, last couple lap deal. But those are, if I if I had 20 bucks to put down, I'd put 10 on each of those guys. So, um, but it'll be fun. Can't wait. Can't wait for Coda this coming week. Moving over to IndyCar. Um, there was a lot of folks who were real worried about this race, myself included, because Texas has that problem where they have the, the PJ1 traction compound laid down um, from the second groove up to try to allow NASCAR vehicles to be able to race side by side. And with the Indy cars, they just can't drive on it at all. Um, they drive on it, they lose all their grip, and they go on the wall. Um, last year's race was not good because of that. This year they made a few steps to try to rectify it, um, ran a few practices, ran a practice session with a few cars on it to try to just burn some of that PJ1 off or, or lay some Firestone rubber down. Um, it didn't really work but it did help a little. Um, and it kind of, I feel like, accidentally created a very intriguing race because it was still a one-groove track, but they were able to get half a second groove going where you couldn't really run up there on your own, but you could, if you really committed, you could run the second groove and, and you had to be right against tire to tire on the guy on the inside. Um, and you could make that second groove work as a passing lane. And we saw Jimmy Johnson and a few others do it a couple times, and it was exhilarating. It was so, I mean, because you're, you're, you, you your breath comes out of you, and you're like, oh my gosh, like they're either going to make this move or they're going to crash. And there's like no in-between. So in any car, you're not going to just lose it and save it and bring it back, and you're going to crash if you start to lose it. So, I mean, that made for some really interesting racing, I thought, uh, where if somebody was saving fuel in front of you, you could send it and go around them, or if they weren't as good on their tires or, or what have you. And, and the tire wear, speaking of that, the tire wear was great. I mean, they were losing 20 miles an hour throughout a run, and that made, I thought I thought that made for great racing. I mean, and everybody, I think, kind of has known tire wear is kind of the missing factor from a lot of racing lately because tires have gotten too good. Um, but these tires were wearing out in a big way. And it was just uh, really made for a really interesting and really intriguing race. Um, you could make moves, but they weren't just given to you. You didn't just draft up behind somebody and fly around them and have this race where everybody's just passing everybody all the time. 
because uh, especially in indie cars that's that's no good um you want this racing where yeah you can pass but you got to commit and you got to be perfect and and that's what we saw and that was that was pretty cool that was uh, one of the better texas indie car races i've ever seen so that was cool um and speaking of jimmy johnson a second ago um he made some really awesome moves the, the one where he took it three wide with scott dixon um i think it was a lap car and kind of split the middle and um it, that was that was killer um it, it shows he's still he's still got that fire and that killer instinct in there somewhere um it just needed a chance to show it so i mean definitely uh jimmy johnson finishing sixth i think was super impressive i mean yes he's got a full year of road course race he knows the cars at this point he's not really a rookie but you know it, that i don't think you can diminish the difficulty of that 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 was very very impressive does it make him a threat to win indy which is our next oval race kind of i think he's got to be in the conversation you can't you can't say he's not i mean he's, he's certainly not the favorite by any means um but he's in a ganassi car he's got a lot of laps at the brickyard a lot of wins at the brickyard i know it's a totally different car uh obviously you're going a lot faster in these but it's not it's not a stretch to say he could be in the conversation for the win at the end of this thing. If it comes down to a duel at the end, um, I think that would be really tough for him. If it's, let's say, him and, and, and let's say Newgarden kind of dueling it out at the end, um, going back and forth and trying to trying to position themselves, that would be a really difficult situation for Jimmy Johnson um, just because of the lack of oval experience. I think that would be tough. But if it ends up being a race where there's some attrition... Or in some other way, you know, a race where there's tire wear or, or if it separates, basically. If it comes down to where the driver and the setup and everything can make a difference and the end of the race is simply, you know, who's got the best tires and who's able to make the best use of a, of a fuel, a full fuel run or what have you, then, geez, yeah, Jimmy Johnson stands a shot, you know. I think a 500-mile race could give him even a better chance than Texas. I mean, we're, we're talking 200 extra miles than what the Texas race was. Um, and I felt like Jimmy Johnson was just getting better and better and better. Um, and that was one of his things in NASCAR is that he wouldn't necessarily dominate races that often. He would just show up in the last 100 miles and had it felt like he had something in reserve that everybody else didn't have, whether it was the car or him taking care of the tires or him, him as a driver. I don't know. Combination thereof, I'm sure. Um, I, I really think that if you if you think that Jimmy Johnson doesn't have a chance to win Indy, I think you're 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 misreading the situation like i said not the favorite but has to be somebody to talk about you know first he's obviously got to put the car on the show which i I don't think that's going to be any kind of an issue ganassi cars don't typically have those problems um like it seems like everybody else is kind of hot and cold and qualifying at indy sometimes but gosh you just never know with that track you can show up with the same package that you had a month ago and go 10 miles an hour slower it seems like so got to get it in in the show first and if he puts that thing in the front two rows in qualifying, you know, I think I think you're going to see a lot of people start paying some very close attention to him. Um, so, yeah, anyways, you know, good good work by Jimmy Johnson proving himself that he can get it done in an Indy car. It's just road racing maybe is not his uh, <laughs> not his forte. So hope, I'm hoping Jimmy Johnson will keep, stick around for a few more years and maybe just stick to just the ovals. Um, I know he probably wants to run Long Beach and some others um, that are kind of pinnacle races, but... I think it would be cool if they found a road a young driver that needs some IndyCar seat time and is more of a road racing guy and 
split that seat with with Jimmy and let Jimmy stick to the ovals um, now that he evidently feels comfortable at him. Um, but back to, to Texas last weekend, it was like a very I, I enjoyed watching the race and down at the end, uh, Scott McLaughlin um, definitely did a great job. He was leading the last gosh like 25, 30 laps of the race really from the final pit stop on. Did a great job managing his fuel properly, managing his tires properly. Um, he's clearly, clearly, clearly figured out the ovals. I mean, he was already good last year, but guy is so good. He's so talented. And that win at St. Pete, we all knew was coming, but the oval win will have to wait for later because um, it really was just a heartbreaking situation. He has a race well under control, rolls up to a group of about five laps cars, and you could tell he wasn't just content riding behind them, but he was trying to find a high percentage move to make to, to at least get one lap car between him and Newgarden. But he but he got right up to the rear bumper with like a lap to go. And and what do you do? It's a no-win situation if you're him. He's racing for a championship. He's having a really solid day. He can send it around the outside of these guys, risking putting the car on the fence, you know, because because of what we talked about, where it really is a one-lane racetrack. And, and you're against lap cars that maybe you're not doing all the same things that the front runners are doing. So, and they're a little unpredictable is what I mean there. Uh, so, so what do you do if you're in that situation? You've got one corner and, and you need to, I mean, I don't know. To me, he did the right thing. You know, sit behind him, get, try to get the run, try to make the move if you can, but going around the outside on a bonsai turn three move, turn four move is not smart when you're racing for a championship. When you won the first race, you're in a position to finish first or second at worst here. Um, I think he did the right thing. Um, it obviously cost him the win. Newgarden got the run around the outside. He was willing to go for it, which I think was also the right thing to do in his position because Newgarden needed a win pretty bad. Um, and it, it, to me, if I'm in his shoes, I'm willing to take a chance on wrecking in order to get that win. If I'm in McLaughlin's shoes... I'm probably not, you know? Like I know Newgarden's probably thinking championship also, but, you know, he needed some momentum. Scott McLaughlin has plenty of momentum right now. And I think that second place is going to fire him up. He's going to win an oval race this year. Could be Indy. Uh, could be another one. Um, who knows? But he's... Uh, he just got, That was just such a smart move, I thought, on his part. He did the right thing. I know that must have been awfully bitter, but... He did the right thing. That that there was no there was no other move there to make. So um, heartbreaker for him, but great for Newgarden. Probably makes it a little easier that it was a teammate. At least still Penske, one two for him. So I'm sure that helped a little bit. But you know I'm sure he's <laughs> rethinking that one for the next several weeks. But I just I don't see what you can do different. I mean yeah he goes to the outside. Maybe it works. Probably it probably works seventy percent of the time if he goes to the outside. To be honest with you. I think I think that it, it probably he probably wouldn't have put it in the fence, but what if he does? You know, like you throw that whole race away. I mean, ask J.R. Hildebrand what that feels like. You know, it's yeah. I'll, I'll stick with that one forever. He did the right thing there. Uh, moving on, Long Beach is the next race. It should be similar to St. Pete in in who's up front. I think McLaughlin still is the favorite. You know, I mean. He's, he's got to be the guy to beat at Long Beach. Um, but, I mean, it should be very much the same the same front runners that we saw there. A few weeks till that. It's uh, April 10th, I think. 
So, um, you know, that's what, three weeks away or something? Yeah. Um, so we got a little bit of time. We'll talk more about that one as it gets closer and whatnot. Then moving on, we got Formula One in Bahrain. Their 2022 season finally gets going. Just a thrilling race. Again, new regulations worked exactly how they're supposed to. Uh, we saw a pack of cars um, for like two or three laps at the beginning of the race, kind of the mid-pack, the, the kind of the maybe t- 10th, 12th on back. And they were able to be right up on each other. Um, I mean, maybe it's not 100%, you know, no dirty air, but God, it seemed like an improvement from, from the TV. Um, it seemed like they were able to really not have to worry so much about dirty air. Um, you know, and I, I thought that was pretty immediately obvious. Uh, you know, so really, really intriguing race there. The Ferraris are, are very clearly in the class of the field right now. But it's not by a tremendous amount. Like, they're not a second clear of everybody. It's just that they're better than everybody in kind of every way, it looks like right now. Meaning they have the best qualifying pace. They were pretty easy on the tires. They they had really good race pace. Um, you know, when Verstappen came out, after the first round of pit stops and Verstappen came out kind of right on Leclerc, uh, I think that artificially made it look closer than it was. Because I think Leclerc was kind of cruising a little bit. Max was pushing pretty hard. I know he said on the radio that they weren't letting him, you know, whatever. Um, but I think when Max was in DRS range, I think Max was at full tilt, pushing as hard as he could. And I think Leclerc was kind of cruising. Like, certainly, I'm not saying he wasn't trying. He was trying. But he was being smart. The car was so good that it was giving him an opportunity to stop and think about his moves. He was able to just drive the car and, and do that subconsciously, whereas Max was having to count, consciously drive the car as hard as he could to try to get an extra tenth or two here and there. Uh, Leclerc was able to maintain the same speed while focusing on the race, not just driving the car, if that makes any sort of sense. So what that was doing is, is, is you could see the data... Leclerc was not full tilt at the end of the front straightaway. He was breaking a little early to turn one to kind of try to sucker Max in with DRS to make the move into turn one. Leclerc was confident enough in himself and in his car to be able to then uh, get it right up on the back of the Red Bull and get the run in the second DRS zone, which he then knew once he's ahead there, he's got the rest of the lap pretty well handled. So it was was really kind of a brilliant uh, set of laps from Leclerc. I mean, Max did all the right things trying to do what he could, but the Ferrari just was a little faster. Once he established that it was out front, the Red Bull really had nothing left for him, at least for Leclerc's Ferrari. Sainz looked a little bit... He's. I mean, I, I think he's going to get there. Um, I think I think people don't give him enough credit. I think he will be every bit as fast as Leclerc in a lot of races here. I don't think that Leclerc is the, the, the definitive number one driver at Ferrari, uh, I do I do think that Sainz is going to be faster and be more of a challenge for him as time goes on. He's admitted that he doesn't have full grips of the car just yet, um, which which is obviously not ideal, but give it to round two or three. I think I think Sainz is going to be right there with him doing doing excellent stuff. So what that means is Ferrari obviously has to keep developing the car, but everybody's playing catch up to them. The Red Bull looks to be almost as fast across qualifying pace. Start of a run, start of the race, Red Bull appears to be, at least at Bahrain, was almost as fast as the Ferrari. But as the run went on, maybe it's a little harder on tires. 
Maybe it's just the track itself. The Ferrari pretty clearly had pace throughout 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 laps. Whatever. How long was the race? I don't know. Um, you know, so um, the Ferrari is going to be really good in these races. So I think what's going to create intriguing races is if somebody else qualifies on pole. If, if Max is able to put the car on pole next week, this weekend, uh, can the Ferrari get back around him? Because I think that they will. I think in a race, I think the Ferrari finds a way around, uh, at least as it stands right now. It certainly appears like they're very easy compared to others on tires, but we haven't seen all the compounds yet. So it will be an ever-developing situation as it always is. But right now, Ferrari, well done. They're, they're the class of them right now. Red Bull is not too far off. And honestly, Mercedes isn't, isn't that far off either. I mean, yes, they, they have work to do, and they've been saying that. None of us believe them, um, <laughs> which deservedly so, because they say this every year. But this year, it's true. They're not, they are not right there with Ferrari and Red Bull. There's a noticeable gap between them in qualifying pace and in race pace. Uh, the Mercedes for Hamilton was pretty clearly the third best car in qualifying and in the race. For Russell, in the race, he was, you know, right there, you know, and, and was faster than everybody except for the Ferraris and Red Bulls. But in qualifying, had his struggles. I think I think that'll be fine. Give, give him a little bit of time. But it's, what I found interesting is that Mercedes said, I think it was George Russell said it, that they know exactly what the problem is. And I was really taken back by that because they never, teams don't normally say things like that. Uh, normally they say, oh, we know what direction to go in. We know where the problem is. We just have to fix it. We know what we're lacking, blah, blah, blah. They're saying that they know what the issue is. So can they fix it in time for this weekend? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, you know, that might be too quick of a turnaround, but it will, it will be very interesting to see. I think the Mercedes is going to be right there with Ferrari and Red Bull by round three. I, I think that they've got pace to be had and they're going to find a couple tens very quickly it will it will before long be a three-team race which is going to be awesome i cannot wait for that um and if 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 everything works out the way i'm hoping it will the three will be just kind of who's fast this weekend you know let's wait and see that'll that'll be really really cool and i think that we're going to see at least we're going to see that to at least a certain extent relatively soon so, you know, Mercedes, if you're a Mercedes fan, I wouldn't be too worried just yet. I, th- I think you're going to be all right. Um, but the the it's the same with Red Bull. I mean, I know neither car finished, so it puts them in a big hole for points. But I will be absolutely shocked if that engine issue is back at all ever again this season. I, it, it was, I think that was a one-time thing. Yes, I know it affected both cars and potentially also one of the Alphatari's um, of Gasly, but it just... That came off as something that they'll they'll get that fixed. That that looked like a parts failure of some sort. No problem. If I'm a Red Bull fan, I'm not worried either. Uh, so I mean, the top three are the top three. Uh, I think that will be that way all year. Certainly, there might be a race here and there where somebody else sneaks in and is fast and whatnot. But that that top three is not going to change, in my opinion. But then fourth, currently third in the constructors championship, but really they're they're going to be fourth before long. Is Haas. You know, I mean, what can you say? We all kind of knew after testing that there might be something there. Who knows how much of it was glory runs, low fuel, that kind of stuff, how much of it was true pace, and they showed it was pretty much true pace. I mean, Kevin Magnuson did an incredible job. I was totally wrong. I thought that he was going to take a couple races to get going. 
I thought that he was going to be chasing Mick Schumacher, and he wasn't. Magnussen got in the car and was instantly fast. Uh, it's just just crazy, crazy to see that. I mean, I've, I've always rated Magnussen very high, but that impressed even a fan of his like myself. That was very, very impressive. The whole weekend, qualifying, the race, all of it. Finished fifth, first race back. Haas obviously is over the moon. Um but then with Mick Schumacher, I know he had that spin on lap one, which was one of the one of the best saves I've ever seen. They didn't give him nearly enough credit for how easily that could have been a much bigger wreck. And he just caught it. I think he lost one spot, two spots from full spin on lap one. Um, did it actually hurt the car, though? That's the question. They, they kind of have said that the car didn't feel right after that, lost a little bit of pace. It may have. It may have. These are very complex cars, obviously. A little bit of downforce lost here and there makes a massive difference. So it very well could have cost him two tenths a lap, every lap. You know, that's a, that's a tremendous amount. They also made the wrong strategy call at the end. They left him out on, on older tires. Um, I know why they did it, but it's easy to say in hindsight they shouldn't have because he was 10th or so when the safety car ended, fell back to 12th within like two laps because he had older softs. Everybody else had new softs. And then everybody else behind 12th was wave around cars, so they were a long way back. So it really would have been a, a very little risk to, to have put put him on softs during that safety car. Um, would have lost him two spots, but at least would have given him some tires that he could have fought with. Um, and uh, potentially would have got him in the points. He ended up 11th after the Red Bulls had their problems. Um, so, you know, it, 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 you know, what are you going to say? Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, so uh, more importantly, though, is is he actually that far off Magnuson, or does did he just have you know an off weekend? It happens, you know, because he was off in quali and in the race. So, I mean, the spin can't be you can't attribute everything to that. Uh, so I think he's he's notoriously somebody who the first year or so he he's not the fastest dude out there, and then something clicks kind of overnight with him. That's what happened in most of all the junior formula. So you know he's got it's got to happen here i mean it's got to happen this is his first race with a with a real talented teammate so get it you know he's still kind of a rookie in that regard had nothing to base himself off of last year at all nothing um no other cars around teammate was whatever um so you know it's you know it's, it's tough it's real real tough so he's got some grace here you know for sure grace period um you know you got to give him a few races to make to understand it, Magnuson is of course going to adapt to a new set of regulations faster. He's a lot more seat time. He's driven a lot of different cars. He did not take last year off. He wasn't in a Formula One car, but he was driving plenty of other stuff. So, you know, that's not horribly surprising in, in hindsight. But I mean, Schumacher has to figure this out quickly. He he cannot get dominated like that by Magnuson for very long because they'll they'll put somebody else in that car. Uh, you know, so, so, and I, I have faith he will. I think he will. I, th- I think he's going to be much closer here, um, this coming weekend, but you know, Magnuson is not driven at Saudi Arabia. Mick Schumacher has, so Schumacher should beat him, you know, on paper. If, if they're truly equal ish type drivers, Mick should be the one leading the team this weekend. So, you know, he's got to, you know, he's got, he's got to find, he's got to find a little something here. So we'll see. Behind them, and, and we'll see if the Haas continues the, the pace, development is going to be tough. Can they continue developing it? But, you know, behind them, the mid-pack is absolutely insane. <laughs> you know, the Alpine, the Alfa Torre, and the Alfa Romeo 
all six of those those cars are I don't no idea. We need we need more races to know they but they all look good. They all have their strengths. Um certainly they're quite a ways back from the top three. They're not too far off from the Haas. I think at certain tracks they'll probably be right there. And depending on development, uh you gotta figure the Alphatori is gonna get there with support from Red Bull. Um the Alpine, you know, we'll see. They're they're a works team, you know, that's the factory team. So can they develop that car like they need to? We'll see. Um, and the Alfa Romeo, super impressed with that team. That was that was such a great weekend for them. Uh, Botas, of course, in qualifying, did an amazing job. Put that thing ahead of the, one of the Mercedes. Um, and then in the race, got, got great points again. You know, did, Botas did everything you'd expect him to do, showing how good he actually is when you're not against, you know, potentially the greatest of all time in Lewis Hamilton. You know, Botas is a, a championship-level driver in almost any other era or at least as a as a shot at it you know um he, he's very very underrated and then his teammate um who whose name i've realized pronouncing all sorts of wrong um joe is how you apparently say it uh, so apologies there i told you i'd learn how to say it after the first race so joe amazing job points on his debut what can you say um kept it clean did a great job seems like the nicest dude uh based off the interviews um God, that Alfa Romeo team is easy to like with him and Botas, um, two very likable drivers. And heck, the Alfa Romeo brand is cool, you know. Uh, brought it back, you know, they were around in the, in the early days of Grand Prix racing. You know, how can you not like what they've got going over there? So um, it's all about development for that mid-pack, of course. I mean, they've got their own battle here. Points are going to be so, <laughs> so difficult to get. I mean... Gosh, double points finishes out of this group is going to be massive. And we're going to see it a lot. You know, they're going to be trading points back and forth and back and forth. Um, you know, so can't wait for that. That that, that battle is going to be really cool. Behind them, though, you've got the last three teams. Uh, Williams back there, you know, I don't think any of us was too surprised by that. Uh, bright spot was uh, Alex Albon putting the car in Q2. That was pretty cool. Um Kind of, I think, kind of showing, for lack of a better way to put this, one, it sh- it shows how good Albon actually is, and how maybe people jumped the gun with George Russell a little bit, maybe you know, like he's really good. Obviously, George Russell's going to win a lot of races, like no, no doubt about it. But people were crowning him the next Lewis Hamilton and the next British World Champion and all that stuff, and maybe he will be. But like, come on, let's let's wind it down a little bit. Yes, he was really good in qualifying in the Williams. Had some had some really terrific race weekends the last couple of years. Um, but I mean, Albon kind of did the same thing. Went out there, put the car in Q two on his debut in Williams. You know, been out of, been out of Formula One for a full year, came back and did exactly what George Russell would have done. You know what? Hey, you know, if anything, I think that that shows how good. Um, you know, uh, Albon really is and how underrated he is to a lot of folks. But, you know, it's got you got to see a little more than that. Just putting a back market car in Q2 is impressive, but that's not the end all be all. So, you know, Williams back there, not, not too surprising. The Aston Martin was a little surprising. I think in testing, we could kind of, we could kind of see that it wasn't great. Uh, it was way off though. I mean, just, not even in the conversation of the mid-pack. Just really, really a bad weekend for them. And we'll see with Vettel back in the car. I don't expect him to make that much of a difference. I mean, Nico Hulkenberg is no slouch. 
Bedard didn't exactly just dominate Stroll last year. I mean, sorta. Not really though. So I don't I don't expect that that Aston's going to get better anytime soon. Certainly, just plugging Vettel into the seat isn't going to fix it. Um, he's he's not <laughs> you know he's not going to magically make that car better. But you never know. Sometimes after one race, uh, you have a bad weekend. You get something wrong on the setup. You learn from it. I mean, we've seen it before. We're a team that looks totally out to lunch. Uh, you know, figures it out, and suddenly they're mid pack next race, or or vice versa. But sometimes they're at the front, and everybody catches them, and and whatever. Um, so you know you can't you can't make your whole case off one race, but man, Aston Martin's in trouble. That car does not look good. Uh, only team that looks worse is McLaren, and where Aston Martin is disappointing, McLaren is just straight up just devastating. I, I mean, what can you what can you say? That's uh, the car didn't look this bad in testing. I don't know if it's a situation where they came out of the box, but their actual car setup was was good. And everybody else's was not like like maybe the others just didn't have the setup totally dialed in, so they they had a bunch of pace still to be found by getting the setup dialed in. Like maybe the car itself had potential and the setup wasn't quite there in testing. Whereas the McLaren they rolled out with the car at potential and that was as fast as it was going to go. I don't know, but the bottom line is that this team was at the back of the pack for for two two or three years. Finally started getting it turned around a couple years ago. They got the, the Renault in there at first, and that helped. And then they got the Mercedes engine in there, and that was even better. And they were very clearly, like, top of the mid-pack last year, them and Ferrari. And the Ferrari makes the jump, and they're now the top team in Formula 1 as it stands right the second. And McLaren is the bottom team in Formula, Win, Formula 1 as it stands right the second. As far as pace is concerned, McLaren is, is at very close to the bottom. And that's just for a team like McLaren, that's totally unacceptable. You know, like we're seeing a repeat in a different way, but it, it, basically a repeat of Williams and what happened with them where they went from being a top tier team that was winning championships, winning races, and then slowly they became a team of, okay, well, they're winning races. And then it was, okay, well, they're getting on the podium. Okay, now they're just getting points. Okay, now they're back in the pack. McLaren is doing the kind of the same thing, but they're doing it all over the place. They're like, okay, this year we're really bad. Okay, this year we're halfway decent. Okay, now we're pretty bad again. Now we're really good. And, and But then there's like no wins. I mean, they won at Monza last year, which was great. But you got all that momentum. The team's looking up. They're looking like, like they're just going to be right at the top of things again this year. At least fourth, you know? Like, yeah, maybe they don't make the jump Ferrari did or, or whatever. But at least... The fourth best car. Everybody that was behind them last year is ahead of them now, with possibly the exception of Williams and maybe Aston Martin. For a team that's put all this effort, all this turnaround, and all these great things that they've been doing, for them to be this bad, I know it's, again, it's one race, but, man, the alarm bells have to be just completely going off over there. Like, that's... I don't think anybody could have seen this coming that they were going to be this off the pace i mean it's horrible uh you know and it's man i can't imagine what it's like to be in that factory right now that's got to be just brutal uh you know so did they leave it too late to start developing this car i don't know i obviously don't have any idea what's going on internally i'm sure it's not that simple it's never that simple but god they got to fix this somehow i mean i don't know what you do it's it's a little late (laughs) now but Jeez, like, man, that's, uh, 
man, it's McLaren fans are the ones that need to be really panicking right now because this is this is awfully bad. So you know, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But I mean, if they continue, if they're back of the pack all season, I mean, what is the, what does that mean for the future of McLaren? I mean, it's awfully you know, I mean, just, this is me just kind of thinking two, three, five years in the future. But we know that they already had to sell their factory and then lease it back to free up some some capital. They've done a bunch of other things because they had that few years where they had no sponsorship hardly. And they have good sponsorship now, it looks like. But, you know, those ripple effects last of having no sponsorship. So they had to do some stuff. And, and by all means, it looked like they were doing everything the right way. And everything looks great for McLaren except for their on-track performance. And, and it's like, jeez, oh, like, what do you do? This, this ha- they have to fix like they cannot exist as a back of the pack team at all like just just worry that yeah as a McLaren fan that's a worrying a worrying you know kind of consciousness tr- train to go down you know to start thinking about what if and what have you but uh, hopefully this was something be- hopefully they just got something wrong on the car and it's fixed for next race or whatever. Um, but speaking of next race, we've got Saudi Arabia next. We were just there a few months ago. It was at the back end of the season last year. This year is towards the front. Um, so it shouldn't be uh, anything too crazy as far as being different than last year. Obviously, it's a different set of regulations. But all the teams kind of have a good idea of what the track itself is going to be like. Um, and we know it's a very unique track. Very high speed uh, for being a technically, technically a street circuit. Um, so that could shake things up a little bit. Bahrain is not as high speed as Saudi Arabia is. With that in mind, I expect the Red Bull to be actually extremely even with Ferrari in this race. Um, because it is mostly high speed, I think the Red Bull is going to be as every bit as good as the Ferrari on pace. Uh, not sure if it'll be able to maintain race pace like the Ferrari can, but I think qualifying, I think Max is actually going to be P1 at the end of qualifying. And the Ferraris will be chasing them a little bit. And it's going to be very, very close. Um, going to be probably a very intriguing race. I think Mercedes is going to take a step forward. I think they're going to be very clearly the number three team for this weekend. Ahead of the Haases. I think Russell will be right there with Hamilton. But I think they're going to be third. You know, I think they're going to qualify uh, fifth and sixth. And they'll be kind of just racing amongst themselves. I don't think they're going to be making a big enough gap, this big enough jump, I should say, this quickly to be with the Red Bulls and the Ferraris. But they'll be, <coughs> excuse me, certainly a little closer. Um, it could be, um, you know, that the Haas, because it's a little bit of a different track, it is possible that the Haas might be a little more able to fight with the top teams, or it might be a little bit slower you know from the eyeball test you know just watching the race it looked like the Haas if anything struggled maybe a little more in the lower speed sections like turn one seemed like a real struggle for the Haas cars so maybe Saudi Arabia that track layout maybe it it plays out into their hands a little better could they be much closer to the top three are they in position to maybe pull something off here you know and, and be fighting top five you know, without any, you know, of the top teams falling out. I don't know. It's possible. We don't really know yet. Uh, I expect it's going to be overall very similar to Bahrain as far as the, the order. Uh, I think that Red Bull is going to make that a little bit of a jump. But other than that, the order is going to be very similar. I don't expect any real big surprises. 
you know, some, you know, some of these teams, you know, like Haas, for example, instead of finishing fifth with Magnussen, I think he finishes seventh or eighth and Schumacher's 10th or better. I mean, that's a, that's still an, an enormous result, you know, so it's, it's, it's important to not get kind of jaded by what we saw there and go, oh, Magnussen needs to finish top five every race or else it's now disappointing. No. No, that might end up being the best finish of his of the season, which is not a knock on them, but it's it's just the truth when there's not DNFs. Can they get up and beat those top three cars? Uh, maybe, maybe Monza or in a rain racer. I don't know. So, you know, that'll be that'll be something that we're, we're going to have to just keep learning. You know, luckily we have another race already this coming weekend, so we don't have to wait long. And we're going to learn a lot more about what these cars will do, what the drivers and who's fast and who's not. And I can't wait for it. Uh, we've got another great weekend of racing coming up. No IndyCar, unfortunately, but we still got NASCAR at Circuit of the Americas and Formula One at Saudi Arabia. Can't wait. It's going to be a ton of fun. Make sure you tune in next Monday and every Monday throughout the racing season for the next episode of Growler Garage. Thanks for tuning in.